Recently, I came across a rather silly argument between two theologians. Uh, in one side uh, of the camp, a theologian was writing about the fact that God is our cheerleader. God is one who is cheering us on. He is there to support us in our faith journey. The other theologian disagreed with him. He said, no, that is not what is revealed in the scriptures. What is revealed in the scriptures is that we are to cheer on God. And both were arguing which one was right and which one was wrong. I believe if we read our Bible carefully, the Bible teaches both concepts where God is to be cheered in our worship. That's what we're doing this morning. We are cheering Him. We're adoring Him. We're worshiping Him because He is deserving. And that is correct. But also, God is our biggest fan. God desires the best for us. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16, we are told that our names are written in the palm of His hand. He remembers us. He loves us dearly. He is cheering us on. Now, we often talk about the fact that we are to worship God. We often talk about the fact that we are to cheer on God. We are to commemorate Him. We are to celebrate Him. But we often don't think about the truth where God has revealed Himself as the one who encourages us. And yet, when God wanted to reveal Himself to mankind in what we call the incarnation, when God took on human form, He wanted to reveal Himself as a God who loves to encourage. He wanted to reveal himself as the God who encourages. It is a beautiful picture for us that there is a God who is telling those who are discouraged to cheer up. There is a wonderful Lord who tells us he can help us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He is our Heavenly Father who stands alongside of us and journeys with us in the up and down of our faith walk, cheering us on, wanting to see us progress and succeed in this life. God is pulling for us. God seeks for our victory, which we have in Him. Now, how is this wonderful truth revealed in the birth narratives? We want to take a look this morning as we continue our sermon series entitled, More Than a Manger, and to see how this wonderful story of the incarnation of God reveals to us a God who loves to encourage. You see, the Christmas story is not simply about the manger or the star or the shepherds or sheep or wise men and their gifts. It is about the revelation of who God is. In the incarnation, God is revealing who He is, and He's showing aspects of who He is. And this morning, we want to take a look at the God who loves to encourage. So turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, as we take a look at verses 39 to 56. Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. I encourage you to bring your Bibles or download a Bible app in your phone and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, the Gospel of Luke is the third Gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then we get to Luke, Luke chapter 1, and we begin in verse 39. Now, if you remember from last week, the angel Gabriel had just told Mary that she would be the mother of the Messiah, the promised one. She would be the mother of Jesus, the Son of God and God Himself. And as a sign to Mary that a virgin birth is possible that this can and will happen, the angel Gabriel tells Mary that Elizabeth, her relative, who lives in the south, 
well past childbearing age, is now with child. So look what happens, verse 39 and 40. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country, note this, with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now if you're in Mary's shoes and you have been told that your relative is with child and you know that this relative is barren and she is well past childbearing age, you will also want to quickly confirm this message. And that's exactly what Mary did, as we find out in verse 39. She went with haste. She wanted to check the news out herself. She could not believe it. She could not wait. And so Mary takes on the many-day journey down to the hill country of Judah. And there is no doorbell, so she knocks on her door, and she greets Elizabeth, perhaps with a hi or hello, Elizabeth. I love how the Lord has everything worked out even the details. That is the sovereignty of our God. Now, if you remember, as we talked about last week, what month of Elizabeth's pregnancy does the angel Gabriel tell Mary she is to be the mother of the Messiah? Six. It is in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, this is the days before an ultrasound where someone can share on social media their ultrasound pictures uh, and the whole world can rejoice with them. Since this is the days before an ultrasound, you can't know if someone is pregnant just by the visual look. This is important. Because if the angel Gabriel had told Mary that she would be the mother of the Messiah and that the confirmation of this would be that Elizabeth is pregnant, and if only Elizabeth was one or two months pregnant, Mary goes down to Judah, says, Hi, Elizabeth, and sees and cannot tell if she is pregnant or not. And yet God in his sovereign wisdom who works out all details makes sure that it is in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy so that when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, what? Every woman knows that at six months, regardless of how small your baby is, there is a baby bump, right? Mary would know. She would be confirmed. She would be assured that what will take place will come to pass which will serve as a great encouragement to her. Here you see the great revelation of who God is in the incarnation story. Number one of your taking notes. God shows himself as the God who encourages through his assurance. God encourages us in the way he assures us. Here, Mary is assured, encouraged, that she will be the mother of the Messiah in her virginity, because she is assured that Elizabeth is pregnant. Now, in what ways does God encourage us through assurance? Let's take a look at the interaction between Elizabeth and Mary. Look at verse 41 and 42. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. I love this part. The only thing that Mary says to Elizabeth, perhaps as she knocks on her door, is, Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Now remember, at this time, Mary has not mentioned to Elizabeth anything that the angel Gabriel has said to her. She is alone. Joseph is definitely not with her. 
And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, already knew that Mary was with child and that child would be the Son of God. So imagine the exchange. Here it how it goes. Hello, hi, Elizabeth. Immediately, Elizabeth comes out in a loud voice, yells at her, Blessed are you among women. Can you imagine the shock of Mary? All Mary said was, Hello. And yet the Bible tells us very clearly in verse 42, she spoke with a loud voice. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary would have been shocked, but she would have been encouraged. You know, perhaps all throughout her journey south, Mary's thinking what people would begin to think about her, especially since she was not yet married to Joseph, how the gossip would begin how the talk behind her back would begin to spread as her womb began to grow. And yet in all that worrying, when she comes into the house of Elizabeth, she says hi. Immediately, her relative comes and blesses her, assures her, Mary, have no doubt of the special role that God is giving you. Don't doubt. Why? She doesn't whisper this. She shouts it at her. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. You see, God often sends encouragement through assurance in the form of other people. It's wonderful that God often sends to us people in our time of need who just simply comes alongside of us and journeys with us. That is how God encourages us through assurance, through people. I can't tell you the countless times that God has sent people into my life to encourage me. And they didn't know what I was going through. But they sent these people into my life to assure me that everything will be okay. You see, when you assure someone, you are comforting them. You are confirming them. You are reassuring them. And how does God do that? He does that through people. Perhaps God is going to use you to be the encouraging assurance to someone else. Look with me at verse 43 to 45. Elizabeth continues, But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. More than Elizabeth's action, I want you to notice her words. She confirms, before Mary is able to tell her these things, she confirms what the angel Gabriel tells her about the unique child that she is carrying. Elizabeth says to Mary that the mother of my Lord has come. She acknowledges that the child in Mary's womb is the promised one, the Messiah, and you are the mother. And again, remember, Mary has not told Elizabeth anything. Elizabeth tells Mary that when Mary's voice was heard, when she said hi or hello, the baby in her womb leaped for joy. Mary, don't worry. This is a joyful time. You'll find great joy. All will find joy in this. My baby leaped in my womb hearing the sound of your voice. And I love this because it confirms that life begins at conception. Life doesn't begin when the baby is born. 
The baby is already very much alive in the mother's womb, and that's why we are opposed to abortion, knowing that it is the taking of a life. Life begins at conception. And I love the words of Elizabeth. Mary, find joy. This is a joyful thing. The baby in my womb leap for joy. You are blessed. You know, words assure us. And God often encourages us in assurance through words. How does it make you feel when someone tells you, you're doing a great job? Or someone comes alongside of you and tells you, keep up the good work. Or when you hear from someone, I love you, I love you always. And other words of encouragement and assurances. And so I want to challenge our congregation. Be generous with your words of affirmation and words of assurances and words of encouragement, especially to those who need it. Because you may be the mouthpiece by which God encourages someone else in the assurance through words. You know, I think every child, at least my three, you know, went through a phase where they were very insecure. And, and because children think very black and white, when a parent disciplines their child, the child thinks that the parent doesn't like them. And so Cindy and I make it a point that after we discipline our children, whether through spanking or through a stern word, we always tell them we love them. Always, at the end of every discipline, we tell our children, we love you. Parents, your children need to hear that. Fathers, when was the last time, when was the last time you told your children, doesn't matter how old they are, when was the last time you told your children that you love them? They need to hear that. Words assure and words affirm. Now, you may be sitting there and thinking, well, pastor, you've got to understand our Asian Chinese culture, especially Asian men of an older generation. They don't say, I love you. Through their actions, through their words, through their working hard, through their provision for us, they are saying, we love you. Well, guess what? Most children of those fathers do not understand that. They're thinking, why does my dad work so much? My father doesn't love me. He loves work more than he loves me because they are not assured through words. And you may say, but this is such a Western concept, this lovey-lovey, touchy-feely sort of thing. It is not a Western concept. It is a biblical concept. The Heavenly Father tells us throughout the Scriptures what? He loves us. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Father tells His children He loves us and He loves us deeply and He's not ashamed to tell us the depths of His love for us. So especially fathers of this generation, tell your children you love them. I know it's awkward, it's weird, you've never said it. Tell them that. They want to hear it. Children, your parents need to hear that as well. They need to hear that you love them. They need to hear that you will take care of them when they get old. A lot of parents are concerned because they have never heard from their children that their children will take care of them when they get older and are incapacitated. 
Don't let them assume. Words encourage through assurance. So speak it out. It has nothing to do with personality types. How hard is it to say, I love you. I will take care of you. Doesn't take great eloquence. My kids, every night, before they go to bed, because we've taught them, they tell us they love us. All three of them, even my eldest boy. And I, I hope, I hope, and I pray that when they become teenagers, they will continue to say that. And I know, especially teenage boys, they don't want to express themselves. But there's a wonderful thing about words that encourage through assurance. Speak forth words of encouragement. And if you need encouragement, how does God assure us through words? Well, he does it through the scriptures. Read the Bible. Read the Bible to be encouraged as God's assuring words cheers us on. Look at verse 46 and 47. In response to Elizabeth, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. In response to such encouragement from Elizabeth and seeing the confirming sign of her pregnancy, Mary praises the Lord in what we call Mary's song, Mary's Magnificent. She says in verse 46, My every being wants to worship God. My soul magnifies. I want to rejoice. In whom? Verse 47. In God my Savior. Listen very carefully. Luke chapter 1 verse 47 is one of the most theologically important verses in all the scriptures. This little verse, verse 47, and Mary says, My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Why? Because verse 47 debunks the Roman Catholic doctrine of Mary's immaculate conception. And for those of you who do not understand or don't know what immaculate conception is, the Roman Catholic Church says that Mary was born without sin. It's not in the Bible. It is spoken ex cathedra by one of the popes as the core doctrine of the church, the Roman Catholic Church. If you look at verse 47, it is very clear that Mary is not immaculately concepted. You see, the Roman Catholic Church says that because she is born without sin, she's immaculately concepted, she was given the special privilege of giving birth to the Messiah. But as we mentioned last week, the reason God chose Mary was for no other reason than by His grace. In verse 47, she speaks of God as her what? As her Savior. And the only people that need a Savior are sinners. Mary was a sinner like you and me. And yet Jesus Christ was born without sin because of the power of God. And as we read last week, the Holy Spirit overshadowed and surrounded her. And unbeknownst to me, and I don't know how it works out, her sin nature was not passed down to the Son of God. And that is why even though Mary was a sinner, Jesus Christ was born sinless. Because if the logic works out that Mary was sinless and therefore Jesus was sinless, then the logic works out that Mary's mother had to be sinless. And Mary's grandmother had to be sinless. And Mary's great-great-grandmother has to be sinless. And if you keep tracing all the way back, we find out in Genesis, what? That Adam and Eve fell. Verse 47, Mary is not immaculately concepted. 
But regardless, it is wonderful that she is praising God because now she has a Savior. And look at her joy. Look how she is encouraged, verse 48 and 49. For he has regarded the lowly state of her maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generation will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary recognized that she was a nobody who had been exalted. And because of her special role as mother of the Messiah, that all generations will note the unique place she has. She was not being proud. She is not saying she deserved it. She is not telling us that we should pray to her and use her as an intercessor. I think Mary would be shocked today if she found out that people were venerating her and people were worshiping her and praying to her because she says very clearly in verse 48, he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant for all generations will call me blessed. Why? Verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Even Mary redirects worship back to God. She acknowledges that God has done great things for her. And here in these verses, we see the second way that God reveals himself as the God who encourages, number two. God shows his encouragement through his kind acts. God shows and reveals himself as the God who encourages, number two, through his kind acts. It is not only through the assurances, through people and words, but through acts of kindness. You and I, my friends, are recipient of God's kind acts. What we have and what we are are kind acts of God. Now, if we had the same attitude as that of Mary, we can say that we are deserving of nothing that we have. And that's the truth. And that's what many of us have forgotten. That we do not deserve anything, and yet we have been given everything through God's kindness. I could have easily been born into the lowest caste of the Hindu society to abusive parents with no hope of ever rising up from poverty. But instead, God was gracious enough to let me be born into a family that didn't have very much, but was a loving one, was a Christian family. And when I want to complain, and when I begin to think about complaining about the life that I have, I am reminded that I am really undeserving. And yet, by the grace of God, through His kind acts, He encourages me. When we are reminded of God's kindness in His actions, it should be an encouragement to you. So think about your life. Think about the kind acts that God has shown you to encourage you. You know, I know we complain a lot about the traffic here in Metro Manila. It, it's terrible. And it doesn't mean we cannot complain. But on a rainy day, when I'm complaining about the traffic, I look at those long lines, people who wait three or four hours just to get into an FX or into a jeepney. And I think, wow, God, you are so kind to me. What an encouragement to me. Now, we hope the government can fix the system. But when we think about kind acts, especially from the Father, Heavenly Father, it should serve as an encouragement to us. I am undeserving, and because of his kind acts, I am encouraged. 
think about such things. And you will find out that there is a God who comes alongside with you, never to leave you nor forsake you, to cheer us on. And he keeps telling us, the kindness of my acts overflow in your life. And we remember kind acts, right? My father tells us this story. I can almost memorize it. But it is deep in his memory, and he often shares this story with his family. As many of you know that his birthday is on November 1. What a great day to have a birthday, right? November 1, All Saints Day, when everyone goes to the cemetery. And I remember asking my dad years ago, I said, Dad, what did you do on your birthday? And he would tell us with a bit of sadness in his voice, every day on my birthday, our family went to the cemetery. And being a more traditional family of a generation past, they always went on November 1. And you know it's a whole day affair, right? Uh, it's funny. We're there to pay our respects to the dearly departed. But uh, it's funny in our culture, we also have to stay there the entire day so that other people will see that we are there honoring. You know, we're always doing things for other people to see. So they're there all day. And uh, with sadness, he would often tell us that everyone forgot that it was his birthday on November 1 because everyone's busy going to the cemetery and getting the flowers and all that fun stuff. So I said, well, Dad, that's, that's pretty sad. Did they make it up to you? Did they celebrate on another day? But he always told us, he said, but the day never ended without something happening. You see, there was someone who didn't forget. And that person who didn't forget, it was his birthday on November the 1st, was Dr. Edwin Sparr. Uh, Dr. Edwin Sparr, uh, as many of you would know, would be the co-founders of Grace Christian Ministries. And because they did not have biological children of their own, our families adopted each other. And so all throughout my life, uh, I called them grandpa and grandma. Uh, grandpa and grandma Spar, And with great affection. And Dr. Spar would always remember that it was Paul's birthday on November 1. And although the family would come home very tired from going to the cemetery, he would announce it is Paul's birthday and we need to celebrate. And uh, he would rally the family as tired as they were to go celebrate Paul's birthday they would often just go out for a nightcap to have some ice cream I think that's why my father loves ice cream so much brings such good memories to him you know almost 80 years later my father still tells that same story of how Dr. Edwin Sparr never forget his birthday even though it was on November the 1st when everyone went to the cemetery because acts of kindness always serve to encourage us. And that's why when we grew up, he always made our birthdays very special. It wasn't extravagant, but it was always very special. Acts of kindness encourage us. And that's why when the Christmas story is told, it never gets old. It's told to us over and over again because it is the story of the greatest act of kindness. That God would become man. He would become Emmanuel, God with us, to do what? To save us. And the revelation of who God is, is that He is one who wants to encourage us so much that He performed the greatest act of kindness to come to earth, to take our place and die for our sins. And if you don't think that somehow God is there cheering on the very people He died for, then you have a wrong concept of God. That He would come and in the greatest act of kindness, to be born as a babe of Bethlehem, born to die, not to live. 
so that he could tell us that he is encouraging us. That we will never forget that here is one who is always cheering for us. Encouragement comes through kind acts. His kind acts. Verse 50 to 55. And his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary continues in verse 50 to 55, the theme of the exaltation of the lowly and the humbling of the proud. And in it, there is a running theme of what? Of God's mercy. She begins it in verse 50. And His mercy is on those who fear Him. And she ends this section in verse 54. In remembrance of His mercy. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. And that is seen in the exaltation of the lowly. In the exaltation of the lowly and undeserving, God's mercy is seen. In the humbling of the proud, God's mercy is seen. In the filling of the hungry with food, God's mercy is seen. In the forgiving and remembering of Israel who had abandoned him, Mary says, God's mercy is seen. Why? Why is God's mercy given? It's because he promised it. Verse 55. He promised that his mercy would be upon Abraham and his descendants. And that's why he was merciful to a disobedient people like Israel. You see, number three, God reveals himself as the God who encourages by showing his encouragement, number three, through his mercy. Encouragement through his mercy. Think about it. When God is merciful, is that not an encouragement to you? Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Now you say, whoa, hang on, Pastor. I may not agree with that. When we do not get what we deserve, it is a good thing. Would you agree with that statement? When we do not get what we deserve, it is a good thing. Most of you would argue with me. No, that's wrong. I want to get what I deserve. And it's exactly because I do not get what I deserve that I'm angry with God. I'm a good person. I come to church on Sundays. And God doesn't bless me, but he blesses the guy who sleeps in, who's doing bad things. I do not get what I deserve. That's why I'm angry. But I want to caution you, my friends. If you play that game, if you play the game where you're angry that you do not get what you deserve, you will lose that game. You will come out on the losing end. When we do not get what we deserve, it is a good thing for us. You don't agree? Okay. Let's say God was very fair in your minds and that you didn't want God's mercy in your life and you want to receive what you deserve. Be careful what you wish for. For example, if you deserve, if you get what you deserve, then every time you go over the speed limit by one kilometer per hour, you should get a ticket. Every time you touch your cell phone 
when you're not supposed to driving the car because there's the law that says you cannot touch your cell phone, you should get a ticket. Whenever you, you, your wheel touches the yellow bus line, and even though they always veer into your lane, but when you veer into their lane, you should get a ticket. Or whenever you run the red light, you should get a ticket. Now let me ask you this. If you are clamoring to get what you deserve, then you are probably deserving of at least 100 tickets a day. Anyone complain about that? Do you complain when you don't get what you deserve? You see my point? Mercy works both ways. When we do not get what we deserve, it is good for us. It's a good thing. And God's mercy is evidence in his encouragement to us. And that is how Mary sees her being the mother of the Messiah. Who am I? I'm a nobody. I do not deserve this, and yet you have given this to me. His mercy is on those who fear him. That's why we find encouragement through his mercy. You and I do not deserve what we have. God's mercy has been extended to us. We should be grateful. We should be encouraged that when we sin, God doesn't strike us with a deadly disease. We should be encouraged that when we pray that we'll never do it again. Lord, we'll never do it again, I promise. And then we do it again the next month that God doesn't strike us dead. Because if God was not merciful, I've said this many times, I would not be standing here in the pulpit this morning and you and I would be dead long, long ago. And yet the Bible tells us God is merciful And he gives to us what we do not deserve. And that is a good thing. What encouragement it must be to us to know that we live under the umbrella of his mercy. I thank God every day. Thank you, Lord. What an encouragement that you are cheering us on as I recognize that you are merciful. Let me ask you this situation. I think many of you have been in this situation, but don't raise your hand. How many times have you ever been in a full elevator? You've been waiting for the elevator a long time, whether at the mall or uh, in the hospital uh, or wherever, in an apartment building. You're in a full elevator. It's taking you a long time. You're all crammed in. It's packed, and you're going up, and sure enough, it opens at the next floor, and it opens up. And as as it opens up, when you look outside, what do you see? You see an elderly person. How many of you would step out so that elderly person could step into the elevator. I think very few, because most of us would look down pretending we don't see who's there, right? I know, I've done it. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, I've been waiting a long time for this elevator. They can wait for the next one, right? I'm not the architect. I didn't design it so small with such few elevators. Not my fault, right? So I'm just going to look down and pretend she'll go away, or he'll go away when the door closes again. But, you know, usually what happens is the door hasn't closed and they're pressing the up button again and it just opens up. You know, it's God God telling you, hey, I'm giving you a second chance. You're going to step out? And we still continue to look down. You know, we do that because that's who we are. We, We don't extend mercy. You see, mercy takes what you deserve and gives it to others. And that's exactly what God did. And if you take the elevator illustration, the door opened and God saw standing out there in desperation, not on the elevator to glory. And he doesn't look down and pretend that we're not there. 
He looked at us and he saw us as people worth saving. But the elevator couldn't fit anymore, so it required that he stepped out so that you can step in. And that is the picture of the incarnation when Jesus Christ came from his heavenly throne to be one of us so that he could step out to die for our sins so that we can step in and not experience spiritual death. God did not turn a blind eye to us. That is how his mercy encourages us. Think about that. Think about the truth of that. He stepped out so that we could step in. He took our place. Many of us would not do that, but he did. He took what he deserved and gave it to us. How can we not say he doesn't encourage us? Verse 56. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her house. Why does the Bible give us these details? Why do we care that she stayed three months? And then she went back home. Well, we'll do a little bit of mathematics here. At what month does she come at Elizabeth's pregnancy? Six. She stays for three months. Six plus three equals nine. Nine months is how long it takes for a baby to be born. The Bible knows biology. We can reasonably assume that Mary stayed until the end of Elizabeth's pregnancy and rejoiced with her at the birth of John the Baptist. When I think about that, what encouragement each of them must have been to one another. Here one, the mother of the forerunner of the Messiah. The other, the mother of the Messiah. What they must have talked about. How they must have encouraged one another. They would have mutually assured one another. They would have spoken of God's kind acts in their lives They would have reminded one another of his mercy to choose two undeserving people like them and one to be the mother of the Messiah and the other to be the forerunner's mother. And both found mutual encouragement. That's how God reveals himself. He is the God who encourages, bringing two people who were lonely and in need of encouragement to find it together in him. Isn't that beautiful? So if you are in need of encouragement this morning, If you're wondering whether God has abandoned you or that you're alone in this life, remember that God is running alongside of us. And we can be assured by His words for us in our life. We can recollect His kind acts. We can remember His mercy. And we know that He is there to encourage us. And the great example, the greatest of all examples, is seen in the Son For the Son's own word says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then the ultimate act of kindness, to have someone die in our place. And instead of death, you receive life as God mercifully pardoned your life, as he stepped out so that you could step in. This is the God who has revealed himself as one who encourages us. My friends, as you remember Christmas, as you remember this first advent of Jesus, 
Remember, it is more than about the shepherds and the wise men and the sheep. It is about the great revelation of a God who is not distant. Not a God who many of us dread because we think that somehow he looks sternly at us and he's waiting for us to mess up so that he can shoot firebolts at us or thunderbolts or punish us. That is not the God who wants to reveal himself to mankind. He reveals himself as the one who encourages. And yes, he is righteous. And yes, he is holy. But he loves to encourage his people. He cheers our name. Our names are written in the very palm of his hand. He remembers us. I hope you remember that God is the great encourager in your life. If you need some encouragement this morning, turn to him. He will give you encouragement, flowing abundantly, an encouragement that will fill the soul. Thank you, Lord, for being one who has revealed himself, not as one who is a disciplinarian, who is strict, waiting to pounce when we mess up, but one whose mercy and kindness and assuring words and action reveals a God who is tender-hearted, gracious, and loving. Help us to see you in a very new light, Lord with a newfound respect. May we live this life so that you have something to cheer about. And for those this morning who are discouraged of soul, who are going through great pain, would the God of encouragement come alongside them, embrace them in his arms, and there they will find comfort and strength in time of need. Thank you, Lord, for your great revelation to mankind. Thank you that you are the God who encourages. In Jesus' name we pray.